Zephaniah chapter 3. Be finishing up this book. You don't hear a whole lot of preaching from the book of Zephaniah, but all of the Bible is important. And the more of it we can get a hold of and understand, the more it will help us in every area of the Bible. And so, uh, in, the, in this book, uh, just a little bit of review, we showed how this uh, Zephaniah was a contemporary with Jeremiah. He was prophesying about judgment that was going to be coming on Jerusalem from Babylon. And in chapter 1, talked about the day of the Lord. And we talked about in the first chapter how there have actually been several day of the Lord's, you could say, but there is one, the day of the Lord. Now, when you say things like that, I do think the burden of proof is on you to, or you ought to at least be able to give a good reason of why there would be multiple days of the Lord. Um, a lot of times there's things that we claim as dual fulfillment, which again, I, I do believe in dual fulfillment, but there's also such a thing as what you could call partial fulfillment too. And so some of the, one of the reasons, and I'm, I think I can prove this to you, and I think I've got a great verse that proves this too, that one of the reasons we a lot of times see what appear to be prophecies being repeated is because of the fact that they were not completely fulfilled at, at any point. And so the reason we're still looking for some things to be fulfilled, for example, you know, Matthew 24. Without a doubt, much of what was prophesied in Matthew 24 came to pass. But not all of it came to pass. Obviously, Jesus did not return and gather the elect. So, why didn't, that, why didn't that part happen? So, why are we still looking for that to come? And I believe because there was like a partial fulfillment that took place there. And so, why was it only partially fulfilled? I think I can give you a reason for that. And I think we're going to, we, we can illustrate that here in chapter 3. And so, also, another thing to remember, in chapter 2, he talked a lot not only about uh, what was going to become for Jerusalem... But he also talked about judgment coming on the other nations too. Because one of the things associated with the day of the Lord is you're going to have God rescuing his people, but God also is going to be judging the nations and punishing the wicked. And so, here in chapter 3, start, um, well, first off, uh, just a couple, uh, another, a couple things I want to mention too. Uh, something very important we need to remember when looking at prophecies concerning Israel. First off, all the prophecies were in the Old Testament were about things that were going to be coming, or all the prophecies of Zephaniah were about things coming on them in that day. And those things, they have. They've come and gone. But contained within those prophecies are things that we would say are still to come. And so why is that? What happened? Because the prophecies seem to indicate that these great days were going to happen during their time. So, why didn't they? What are we missing? And I think the key passage, okay, I, want you, I want you to keep this in mind. You all are familiar with this passage. In Matthew 23, after the coming of Christ, after the triumphal entry, after He rips on the Jews for their wickedness and unbelief, He says in verse 37, watch this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. Look at this. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. 
Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So notice what he said. There were many times I would have gathered you, but ye would not. You know what? You know, and I believe right there is why we see several day of the Lord's where God was bringing judgment and God would have brought deliverance to them, but they would not. They, they, would ne- they never had faith. They would not believe on Him. And even when Jesus Christ came at His triumphal entry and He's fulfilling many of the prophecies in Zechariah, and specifically Zechariah, I think it's either 7, 7 or 9, 9, about the trial, uh, you know, him coming in lowly, riding upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Go read, I think it's chapter 9. Go read the rest of that chapter. Nothing else in that chapter happened. It talked about him defeating all these enemies. Why didn't any of those things happen? You know why? Because they would not. They didn't accept him as a whole. Now, there were some who did. There were many who were saying, Hosanna, who were saying, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But when Jesus is speaking to these unbelieving Jews, he's letting them know, I'm done talking to you. If, if you're never going to see me again until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, like the people did previously that they wanted him to rebuke. This is in the same story where all that took place. And so these people that Jesus is talking to, until a day comes where they, like these others, believe on him, they're never going to see him again. And you know what? They didn't believe on him, so they're never going to see him again. Many people will take that prophecy and say, no, this is going to happen someday. No, those people are dead now. They're dead. And that, so guess what? It's not going to happen. It's too late. So anyway, but it's clear from this passage that theoretically any of those days of the Lord could have been that day had Israel been ready, but they were never ready. So it's important we understand this as we go through this chapter. We're going to see things that clearly were about back then, yet there are things that we would say are still about the future. Why are those things still about the future? Because they would not. That's why, so those things weren't completely fulfilled. So the prophet here, he's about to give a description of the spiritual condition of Jerusalem at this time. Because remember, Babylonian destruction is very close. And it says in verse 1, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. And this city that had the things of, they had the things of God, they had the temple of God, they had the Levites, they had the sacrifices, they had the oracles of God, but they were a filthy city. They were an oppressing city. If you read the prophecies of Jeremiah, he goes into a lot more detail about how wicked they were, about the specific sins that they did. And one of the things that Jeremiah brought up a lot was the oppression of the poor, the oppression of the widows. They were not, they were taking advantage of the people of Israel. They were doing wickedly. And these, and these are one of the reasons God judged them. They were, their, their religion, there became an oppressing religion where they're not helping people and they weren't bringing them any closer to the kingdom of God for one. And it was kind of like, you know, you could say like Hophni and Phineas, but much worse during this time. So that's one of the reasons they're, they're being judged. And so Jeremiah, he did, he called these things out. And if, if you just study the book of Jeremiah, he goes into a lot of detail on these things. So verse two says, she obeyed not the voice. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. And, and in many of these prophets, you'll see Israel reacted violently 
when they would come and call out their sin. Even Jeremiah got thrown into prison for a while. What did he do? All he did is said what God told him to say. He's giving a message from God, calling out Israel for their sin. They were constantly doing that kind of thing. In fact, the books of Judges through Second Chronicles is nothing but stories of God correcting Israel, delivering Israel, sending them prophets, and then them rebelling against God. Until finally it came to this point. This was it. God had had enough. Verse 3, her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. And so their, their government leaders were taking advantage of the people. They were using them as prey. And we're going to see, there's a lot of stuff that we could relate to in our country today. That is not what rulers are for. Okay, rulers, you know, people hear that word rule. And what do they do? They immediately think of some you know, oppressive, you know, power-hungry king killing everybody, taking advantage of everybody, seizing everybody's land. You know, pastors, they hear the, you know, the bishops that rule well. Rule! And then they immediately think oppressive. You know, husbands are supposed to rule over their wives. And they immediately think oppressive king. Abusive. That is not, or, or, that is not the pur- purpose of a ruler. Being a ruler, it's a great responsibility. We're supposed to care for the people of God. You know, p- uh, unfortunately, too, our politicians today, they don't see themselves as public servants. They don't see themselves as people whose job is to uphold the Constitution. Even many police officers today, they don't understand. They are law enforcement officers. They're not kings. They're not to be, they're not to be abusive. They're not to abuse their power. And when any ruler that does that kind of thing is a wicked and an evil ruler. They are, they're doing harm. And let me tell you something. Rulers are not a terror to good works, meaning a ruler who's actually doing what they've been authorized to do. But did you know that that doesn't mean somebody who is in a position of leadership, somebody who has been ordained a position of a ruler in some area cannot be, uh, you know, a terror to good works. But understand when they do that, they're not being a ruler. They're being a terror to good works. They're being wicked and they ought to be dealt with. When that kind of thing happens. And you know, our country, we used to have an oppressive king who was not ruling over this nation in a way a king should rule. And there's knuckleheads out there today, they hear the word king and they think all powerful. And they're always, and they'll, they'll talk about how it was bad that our nation rebelled, you know, again, you know, in, in, you know, rebel, that sounds like a terrible word. And sometimes we use that word to explain what they did, like it's a good thing. And rebellion is not a good thing. But neither is oppression. Neither is a ruler or a king doing evil to his people. And so just because somebody's a king doesn't mean they have all power and all authority. No, they only have power where God has ordained that they have authority. And I agree with the founding fathers that when they step outside that, people have a responsibility to stand up against it. Okay? I am the authority over my family. If the government steps in and declares themselves the authority, am I just supposed to listen to them now? Am I supposed to drug my kids instead of spank my kids? Because the government says to? So what am I supposed to do? Well, they would call it rebellion. I would call it obeying God. Okay. And so the thing is too, same thing goes, in a nation, 
if rulers, they fail to do their job, they quit doing their job, they start doing things that God never ordained. You know what? Thank God when citizens rise up and say, we're not going to go along with this. And I'm glad that happened in our country. And it's embarrassing. It's, it's usually Baptists that complain about our founding fathers going against the king. Because they do. They hear king and they think almighty, unchallengeable ruler. And they typically think that way about pastors too. That's not right either. Not, that's not how these things work. And so, notice what it says here in verse 4. Because this reminds me of the leaders in our country. And, and uh, this especially reminds me of the preachers in our nation today. People who are supposed to be spiritual leaders in our nation. Okay? Understand, our government workers, our, our governors, our presidents, they're not the ones to be the spiritual leaders. I believe pastors should be. But look what it says. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. So notice what it says. When their spiritual leaders were light, meaning they didn't have any weight to them. They were just of no impact in their nation. They were not a force for good one way or the other. Do you all understand that spiritual leaders... They ought to be a force for good. They ought to be a force to be reckoned with. The leaders in our nation, they should be terrified of getting the pastors in churches, spiritual leaders, upset with them. But unfortunately today, we have a culture of preachers who are literally, I mean, light is a great way to describe them. They're just these featherweight and, and you know what? I'm just going to say this here. I'm going to say it publicly. I, I went to a local pastor's fellowship one time because they were doing something with the police and I wanted to hear what they had to say about some stuff. And so now like, I'm, I'm on their email list. And I went to one of their meetings and I'm telling you right now, you want to talk about light and treacherous persons. And all, all of these, pre, these preachers, first off, they are not a force for good at all they are trying to just figure out what they can do to just help foolishness in this community i mean i went to the one thing and they're talking about what they can do for um, you know martin luther king jr day coming up they were talking about having this big diversity thing and you know one of the people who organizes all thing is a pastor that's a female and it's just like and the, you know and they, they're always wanting different meeting places and asking people and it's like, you know what? I've thought about volunteering to have a pastor's fellowship meeting here, but then I set the rules. And then I'm going to say, no women pastors. <laughs> just, just to see how fast it gets canceled. But again, it, you know, the, all these, these preachers, they're literally irrelevant in this community. They're completely irrelevant, and they're desperate to have some kind of relevance. So what do they do? They just go along with it. I know one Baptist preacher, he, a Baptist preacher, he like literally went and he did the prayer at the Martin Luther King Junior Day prayer breakfast in his community. And it's just like, why don't you go cut the ribbon to the abortion clinic and, you know, and they open up in your town. I mean, just what in the world? Just the, the stuff that people, uh, preachers get involved with, just desperate to be noticed. And they're, you know, they ought to be scared of us. When they're doing foolishness, they're scared. Or, and, and, that, and the... And that part of that first one I went to too, it was around during the COVID stuff. 
I thought they were going to be getting together to figure out how we can get the people around here to leave us alone. That wasn't it at all. They were wanting to help. You know, they, I mean, I went, the building that we went into, they had all these mask up signs. They had masks there ready to go, telling you no entry without masks and uh, vaccination. Or this was after two, they had said you could, you didn't have to wear a mask if you were vaccinated. And so they had a sign on their thing telling people if they weren't vaxxed, they had to wear a mask. I went in there, I didn't wear a mask. And they didn't ask me if I had been or anything, but I'm like, when a church is doing that kind of thing, they have ceased being any kind of force for good. Talk about light and treacherous persons. It's absolutely embarrassing. It says they've done violence to the law. I mean, uh, they, and, and what I think they mean by that is they just were completely going against the law. They were completely twisting the law, misusing it, violating it. And that's just how it is in our nation today. And it says in verse 5, The just Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not. But the unjust knoweth no shame. And you you would think that our spiritual leaders, for lack of a better term, would at least have the decency to be ashamed of themselves. But they're not. You would think these pastors happen to put these signs up on their doors saying no entry without masks or vaccination status or whatever. You'd think they'd be embarrassed by that. But no, they're glad to do it. They're glad to set the example and to be the first one. I, I mean, there's one of these preachers that I know, Baptist preacher. I mean, he is just the, example, the, the perfect embodiment of an evangelifish. I mean, just, just weak, light, treacherous, just go along with anything. And back when everybody first started talking about taking the Fauci ouchie, you know, he was, he was talking about how he was probably going to take it to just kind of set an example and because he thought it would provide more opportunities for him to minister in his community. I was like thinking, you, you pansy. You're going to take it because you're scared. You're going to take it because you don't want people looking down at you. you want, you're going to take it because you're in love with the world and you are desperate for their acceptance. Our world is going to hell. Our world is filthy and disgusting. Why don't you stand against it? Why don't you be opposition to it? And there, are, I mean, I, I see these pastors are in the Twitter world. They're always just trying to make figure out how they can make the IFB look good and more friendly. And it's like, why don't you just leave it and go call yourself an evangelifish or something like that, or just a Unitarian or what or whatever? Why can't? Why don't you actually try being a force for good and standing up against evil? And they get mad at pastors who maybe get a little riled up sometime and have clips go viral of them, you know, trashing the homos or whatever. And, oh, I'm not associated with that guy. You know, one of these type, one of these guys, his, his thing is always, not my IFB. And it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, please say that about me. Because we're not, we're not, I'm not connected with these jellyfish types. They absolutely disgust me. But it says, the Lord is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, and there is none inhabitant. I said, Surely thou wilt fear me. Thou wilt receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. 
Howsoever, I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. Isn't it amazing how we don't learn from other nations? And that Israel is the same way. God had already done all kinds of destruction on these other nations for their idolatry, because of their fornications, because of their wickedness. And God did it on these other nations too first to kind of give them a hint. But what are they? No, we're just going to keep doing it. And I mean, isn't, isn't that funny too how every nation that accepts communism, socialism, all that stuff, it just destroys a nation. But what does our nation do? Instead of learning from the destruction of these other places, oh, we should try that too. Look at all the other nations doing it. That's the problem. I am looking at all the other, other nations doing it. And it's not good. You know, we need to give everybody free health care. Look at England. They have free health care. So what? I was looking at England. I don't want to be like England. We we had a revolution against them for a reason. Don't compare, you know, don't talk about England and what they're doing to try to get me to do something. That's ridiculous. Israel, they were the same way. They they didn't learn. They were not learning. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Now notice that. This is, this is key right here. Because I don't believe God has changed in this. He said, for my determination is to gather the nations. Why? That I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation. God has determined one of these days He is going to pour His wrath out on the nations. That is God's will. It is God, one thing that is God, two things that are God's desire to do. It's his desire to pour out his wrath on all nations, but it's also his desire to gather his people first. That's God, because we're not appointed to wrath. But, and, but understand, if God's people are also mixed up in these things, if they're all guilty of these things, then it's not going to work. And, that, and the problem with Israel, they weren't saved. They did not have faith and they were doing all the things the other nations did. So understand, even though God was preparing the earth for this day of vengeance and a day of gathering, Israel would not. They were in rebellion against God. And remember what God said in Malachi all the way at the very end of the Old Testament. What did he say? For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God was being merciful. God could have, God, you know, could have destroyed everything. God could have poured his wrath out in the days of the Babylonians. The problem is Israel had been taken out too. God could have poured out, many times he could have poured out his wrath on these nations, but it would have destroyed Israel too. And eventually, God did say enough's enough with Israel, and they did get it. They finally did get it in 70 AD. It says, for then, now watch this. So after God does what he wants to do, pour out his indignation on, on the nations. It says, For then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. And some, many people, I've heard people use this to try to claim this was fulfilled when the Hebrew language became the national language in Israel. God, God, you know, Because Hebrew is kind of a dead language and it came back. That was the fulfillment of Zephaniah right there. Well, that's funny because I don't hear anyone calling on the Lord over there. So, sorry, that doesn't work. And people use this too 
to try to justify saying all these Hebrew things and trying to get, you know, American Christians to start hock and phlegm during their, you know, talking and preaching and praying and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, shut up. Okay? That is not what, that, that's not what that's about. But it says, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliance, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. And this is showing that he's going to regather his people. In that day, shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. And I want to show you a couple things here too. Because remember, this, this ultimately was about that day. The Babylonian kept destruction was coming and they weren't getting around that. That was, they weren't getting around that. In Jeremiah, over and over, he talked about how this is going to come and God gave them no place of repentance. This was a judge, some, some judgments that he pronounced, God would give them an opportunity for repentance where they could be spared. The Babylonian captivity, when that was declared, there was no place of repentance for that. They, that was going to come no matter what. However, God told Israel, after this comes on you, I am going to regather you. Now, did God regather Israel? Yes, He did. Did all of these other things happen when He regathered Israel? No. Why? Because they would not. We see God do His part, but Israel did not do their part. And God is giving them chance after chance. And people, they'll often just, you know, go to this and say, no, this is all about the future. Uh, you know, our future is still to come. No, these were about things in that day, but they would not. They would not. And we can't ignore the fact that in 70 AD, they still would not, and they were destroyed. And people think just because there's a fake Israel out there now, that there's still another opportunity for this to happen. And that's just wrong. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And notice what he said too. Them that rejoice in thy pride, um, or um, yet shall no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. I've talked about this before, but there are many places you can go to in the Bible where you can see how Israel, they were very proud of their towers, their buildings, the house of the Lord. And even in Jesus' day, after Matthew 23, when he tells them your house is left unto you desolate, what do the disciples do? They're out there walking on the Mount of Olives. Look at all these buildings admiring, look at the works, look at what our nation has accomplished. And according to history, they were beautiful, magnificent buildings. I mean, Herod is known historically for his great building abilities that he had. But Jesus said, there's not going to be one stone upon another. It's all getting cast down. It's all of it. You all are lifted up with pride because of these things, but I'm getting rid of it. I'm going to take it away. And that is exactly what ended up happening because they were still lifted up with pride. This is not what God's will was. This is not what the instructions from the prophets were. Again, this is so God did these things, but Israel did not do their part. They were all supposed to do their part too. And so this is showing God will save the lowly and humble, but not the proud. It says, I will leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. And who was it that received Jesus? It was the outcast of Israel. It was the afflicted. It was the poor. It was the Gentiles. It says, The remnant of Israel 
shall not do iniquity nor speak lies. Neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. And here is another reminder that it was only ever going to be a remnant that was saved. It was always only going to be the true Israel. It was never going to be the entire nation. It was always going to be a remnant. There has always been a remnant. There always will be a remnant. But this you know, national conversion, it's, just, it's not going to happen. It, it never did happen. Verse 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. And this clearly has not happened yet. Why? Because they would not. They would not. These things were offered to them many times, but they would not. Jesus offered these things to them. John the Baptist, what did he do? He preached, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh the sin of the world. He presented to Israel their Messiah, but what did Israel do? They killed John the Baptist and they killed Jesus. What's going on? God is sent, He sends Jesus, He sends the Messiah to fulfill His part, to do what He said He was going to do. But they would not. And, uh, and if anybody saw my interview I did with Chuck Baldwin, I love what he said in there about prophecy. It's all either Israel-based or Jesus-based. And understand, all things that are going to be fulfilled, they are not going to be fulfilled through Israel. They are not going to be fulfilled through an ethnic people. They are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ came, did Israel do right? Did Israel offer up an acceptable sacrifice? Did the, did, did, did the Levites get purified and offer up an acceptable sacrifice? No. Everything that Israel was supposed to do, though, we see Jesus did all those things. Jesus did everything. He came and fulfilled His role. He came as a Messiah. He came riding into Jerusalem. He came and he, he could have defeated the armies if He had wanted to. He could have done any of the things that He said He would do if they, if they would have received Him. But they did none of those things. But anything that did need to be fulfilled, Jesus did it. And so understand, the only recipients of those prophecies, promises, all that goes with it, are going to be to those who are in Christ. It will never be through an ethnic group. It will never be through a physical nation. I get it. The UN, they went and they created a new nation that they have where they stole the names of God. They took the name of Israel. We know someday they're going to put a temple up there and they're going to call it the temple of God. And a man is going to stand in there who calls himself God, who calls himself the Messiah and is none of those things. But we under, but understand, we have nothing to do with that. None of that stuff has to do with God. And all the things that need to be fulfilled are fulfilled in Christ. That's it. They're fulfilled in Christ. And that is what people are missing. People are looking for things to be done through some ethnic group. No, they are done through Christ. So it says, verse 16, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thy hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save thee. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will join thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful 
for the solemn assembly. Who are of thee to whom the reproach of it was a burden? And so notice again how not all of Israel or not all of the assembly will be gathered. Okay, Because again, they are not all Israel that are of Israel. It's those who are of faith. Here it mentions those who are sorrowful. Those who recognize their sinful condition. Not those who are lifted up with pride and think we have Abraham to our father. Not those who think I've kept the law. I'm thankful I'm not like this publican. No, it's those who are sorrowful, like the publican, who says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Those are the ones that Jesus gathered. Those are the ones that he, that he did something with. Behold, at that time, I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth and gathereth her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. At that time, I will bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. And again, many people are looking for that to be fulfilled with an ethnic group. But no, this is fulfilled and it is legally fulfilled through Jesus Christ because even from this passage, we see this doesn't have to be something that goes to everyone who physically descends from Israel. No, it was only ever going to be a remnant. And Jesus Christ physically descended from Israel. And so it can't, all these things can legally be fulfilled through Him. And so understand, Jesus is the one that gets praise. He is the one that receives glory. Jesus Christ is where this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And you've got people today looking for it to be fulfilled, again, through an ethnic group. And some people are already going and praising the people even though they haven't even done anything yet. Well, God's going to do something and we're praising Him now. No, God already did something. He did it through Jesus Christ. If those people want to have get in on it, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Paul was quoting a passage from the Old Testament. I forgot where it was, but that was specifically to Israel. So, uh, and notice too, it says, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. Now, people need to understand this too. People will read these pa- a lot of these passages about turning back to captivity and they associate in the future with Israel coming back to their land, to fake Israel. But look what it says in Psalms 85, one. It says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. This psalm was written after the Babylonian captivity. This psalm, this psalm was written during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when they're, the building, the rebuilding of the temple has kind of hit a brick wall because they were receiving uh, you know, uh, opposition. And they're like, Wilt thou not revive us again? Thy people may rejoice in thee. And God had to send the prophet and say, um, I, already, I already have revived you. I already brought you back to your land. I already did all these things for you. Get to work. And then they finally got to work. But understand, while he had turned back their captivity, a lot of these other things had not happened yet. Why? Because Israel would not. Israel had several opportunities to be gathered before God, but they were never ready. And the truth is, you know, they were never capable of being ready 
until Jesus came and made that sacrifice for sin. They would, if they would have had faith, they'd have been fine. They could have been a part in this in the resurrection. But all they had to do is have faith. And then Jesus would have made them righty. He would have fixed them. He would have changed them. But they would not. And so today is the day of their salvation. And you know what? There is a remnant that have said, I will. But for the most part, they would not. And when Jesus returns a second time, he is not required to save those who are not of faith. You know what? They're going to be judged. Why? Because they would not. They can get saved right now. They're not, they're not beyond salvation right now. But when Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says, Behold, He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and all their kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Except for Israel, apparently. No, Israel's going to wail too. Why? Because they are also in trouble when that day comes. So, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank You for this uh, book of the Bible. I pray help us to learn from it. I pray you help us to be a people of faith. Help us to spread the message about faith and pray we can uh we can help uh you use us get as many people saved as possible before that great day comes in your name we pray amen you are dismissed